praise the Lord. Aren't you glad he saves tonight? Amen. Let's take our Bibles. We're just going to turn very quickly to one verse, Luke chapter two, verse 52. And again, we've been utilizing this just to kind of kick things off each Wednesday night in our series entitled, what should be my attitude toward my job and my employer? What should be my attitude toward my job and my employer? Well, Luke chapter two, verse 52, a real basic passage, simple, just simply says in Jesus Increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. And again, we needn't belabor the passage. We've been through it a number of times, but we recognize in the passage that there's a real need for the believer to increase in favor with God and man. Not just Jesus, but us. If God himself in flesh needed to grow in favor with God and man, certainly we tonight need to grow in favor with God and man. And we said that that's a given as well when it comes to our employers, when it comes to dealing with those at work. I mean, we spend a quarter of our life, if we're involved in a 40-hour work week, maybe even more than that if you're 50 or 60 hours, maybe up to a third of your life working and, and trying to pay bills and spending time with employers and fellow employees and so forth. How in the world should we respond to that? How, what kind of attitude do we need to have in the midst of that? We need to grow in favor with these folks, not 
growing, you know, distance. I mean, we need to be able to witness to them and talk to them. Why? Because as we said already, all saved people are called to full-time Christian service. The fact is, is that whether you're on the job right now or not, you're on the job. That you and I are 24-7 Christians. That it's not just a time when, you know, it's not, you know, we're on the clock long before we ever get to work. And so we talked about that and we noted that. And we said that, again, that the believer's on the clock 24-7. Then we said the primary purpose of your job is to support your ministry. Your first ministry, of course, to your family. Then your next ministry to your church family. The next ministry is to reach the lost. And again, we noted how it's not like one or the other or two of the three. It's how God had made us. I mean, he gave us the job we have and to provide the, the needs and meet the needs of our lives and the lives of our families as well as our church family and those around us and even those that are lost and we don't even have any clue who they are yet. Boy, God's given us what we have so that we can utilize it for our ministry. And boy, that's important, and that was something that we tr- took the time to discuss and talk about. And we, said, we, we, we basically said, you know, that the essence of the will of God is simply obedience. And we need to be obedient. And if you're an obedient, you'll always be in the center of God's will. So we need to be ministering to our families and ministering to our church family and ministering to the lost all the time. And then we talked, to, just the other week, we talked about this thought. We, we asked the question, what should be my attitude toward my job? What should be my attitude toward my job? And uh, we said, well, you obviously ought to view your job as a ministry opportunity and not just a job. Matter of fact, you ought to work, view the workplace as a mission field. And, uh, and, and you're calling. I mean, God's called you to that place. And you say, well, I'm not, real, I'm not a real fan of that place. That's all right. You ought to consider it a mission field. It'll change your attitude toward it. I remember years ago, just even in my own life, when I was working a particular job uh, right out of Bible college, and, and uh, I, I really, that wasn't something I really wanted to do. I was working the second shift, and, and it was just kind of a mess, and I, I wasn't real comfortable with the job overall, although I did it fairly well, but it was just one of those things that wasn't my cup of tea. Boy, I remember thinking about going to work from time to time and just like, man, I dread going to work. I dread going to work. This just is not what I want to be doing with my life. You know, and uh, you kind of got to do what you got to do when you got a wife and a kid, you know. And so anyway, I thought, well, I guess I just got to do this till something else comes along. And I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord to do some things. And boy, I remember the Lord got a hold of me and said, what is your problem? You know, I put you there and everywhere you are, you ought to be serving me no matter where you're at, no matter what time of the day it is. You're still on, on the clock for me. And I still remember the Lord saying, this is a mission field. You know, why don't you just go to work every day excited about the opportunity to talk to somebody about me? Because, see, I spent hours on a phone and I spent hours in a room with a couple of people trying to get service for trucks across the country. And I remember sitting there many a time talking to them about the things of the Lord and having the opportunity to maybe even learn some scripture and all kind of different things. Let me tell you something. It changed my attitude toward my job when I realized it was a mission field. And you know, it ought to change our attitudes too. And so we need to view our workplace as a mission field. And we, we ended kind of with this thought. We said, you know, we ought to be defined as Christians by what we do, not by what we don't do. You know, let's, let's be defined by what we do, not what we don't do. Obviously, as Christians, many people have the idea, well, those people don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't have any fun, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. Well, what about the do's? 
Man, they ought to see a good spirit and they ought to see a good attitude and they ought to recognize joy and peace and happiness in our lives. You know, and that, I mean, whether the circumstances are positive or negative, whether they're good or bad, that's not the issue. The issue is as believers, we have a hope that goes beyond this day, this time, this hour. We have eternity to look forward to. There ought to be a difference. And when people look at us, they ought to go, man, I'll tell you what, now that person has a good this and they do this and they are that and not don't have to, don't get to do, don't get to do this, don't get to do that. So we ought to be defined by what we do, not by what we don't do. And so today we continue with our series and I want to ask this question tonight. What attitude should I have toward my supervisors and the company I work for? Not just the job in general, but really what what attitude should I have toward my supervisors and the company I work for? You know, one of the things that I think folks misunderstand about the Bible and about the house of God and, and the things of the Lord is it's very practical. You know, even we're, if we're not careful, we fall into this trap thinking somehow, well, if we really want to get by in the world, if we really want to succeed in life, then we're going to have to go outside the word of God all the time. We got to somehow find some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of guru or somebody that's got some kind of book out, how to book. And if we can do that, then we'll have, we'll be able to figure it out. We'll be able to get rich quick. We'll be able to end up where we want to end up, accomplish our goals and reach our, our end game and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible's extremely, extremely practical. And I don't care whether, though, although it was written thousands of years ago, the fact is, is that it is very applicable today. It makes sense today. It is simply the best book you can possibly hold in your hand, and it's going to answer more questions than any other you could ever have. And so we see that it's going to address this issue as well. What attitude should I have, even in this year, 2018, going into 2019, toward my supervisors and the company I work for? So let's have a quick word of prayer, and we'll start down that road. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. You are our God. We thank you for being our God. We know that we don't deserve your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. But Lord, thank you for extending it to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for the precious blood that was shed, the great sacrifice that was made on our behalf. We are in your debt, and we thank you so much for giving your all for us. Help us, Lord, just to be able to do our very best to return what little we can, knowing and understanding that it's not what we do, it's what you've already done. We'll thank you, we'll praise you in Christ's name, amen. So what attitude should I have toward my supervisors and the company I work for? Well, first of all, Serve as if the Lord Jesus Christ were your employer. That's the first thing. You need to serve your supervisors and the company you work for as though the Lord Jesus Christ were your employer. Turn if you would to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And someone says, ah, I've heard this before. Oh, just keep listening. Ephesians chapter 5. I got a good little illustration at the end of this, these couple of verses. So hold on and give me a minute at least. You'll at least like the illustration even if you think you know all the answers. How many of you think you know all the answers already? Yeah, you think you do. You just won't raise your hand because you're embarrassed. You don't want somebody to think you know all the answers. Some of you, you know what I'm saying, right? Serve as lives the Lord Jesus Christ for your employer. How many times have, has, anybody, has anybody never heard that or something similar to that? Never, ever heard that? That, wow, when you go to work, you ought to treat it as though the Lord Jesus Christ was your supervisor. Anybody never heard that ever in their life? Okay, there's kind of a, okay at least three of you, four, five, six. Okay, seven. Okay? All right, good. We got seven of you today that, that have never heard that. And that's amazing. When you think about a crowd like this, we got seven people that never heard something to that effect. 
Now, here's the danger. It's easy for the rest of you to go, I've heard it. Got it. Been there, done that. Okay, well, all I'm saying is, give me a few minutes. Let's see what we can get anyway, okay, in spite of all that. Okay, sometimes just repetition is the key to learning, so let's hear it again. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You say, why in the world would you read a passage like that having to do with serving the Lord Jesus Christ as he were your employer? We bought you with a price, and now you're to walk as children of light. That's who we ought to be serving all along, every time we turn around. We said we're Christians 24-7 anyway. Whether we're at the job or we're not at the job, Jesus Christ is our head. We ought to be serving him in everything we do. He goes on to say in Colossians 3, and 24, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. With, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Amen. Now see, now we're getting a little bit more detailed now. First of all, we see our relationship and, and, and where Christ fits in our life. And we recognize that we shouldn't be kind of tiptoeing around over here in the sin that we used to partake in. Now we're believers and we ought to be children walking in the light and in the light. And now we see here that he says, okay, now that you're in the light, you ought to be serving the one who put you in the light, Jesus Christ. So you don't serve men, you're serving the Lord Jesus. Knowing that the Lord, of, of, the, that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So again, he's making it clear. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord. I'm going to work today. Who am I really serving? The Lord. I'm doing it as unto you, Lord. It's like when the boss asks me to take out the trash, it's like you just told me to take out the trash. When the boss says to make sure you input all that information in the computer and I want it done right, completely accurate, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, thank you, because it's as though Jesus asked me to do that. That's what he's getting at. That's what the Bible's teaching. We're to serve as if the Lord Jesus Christ were our employer. Emma Daniel Gray. She died on June the 8th, 2009. She was 95 years old. On the office records, her title read, Charwoman. I know that sounds crazy, but that's an old term. And what that term actually means is a woman employed to clean houses or offices. That's what she was employed to do. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, or it may even seem somewhat insignificant. Nonetheless, there was a big story about her in the Washington Post when she died. For 24 years, she was the charwoman for six different U.S. presidents. Each day, she dusted the office of the President of the United States. She may have been just a cleaning lady and I put just in parentheses, but she had the honor of cleaning the office of the most powerful leader of the free world. May I say to you today that no matter what your title or what your occupation is, no matter how insignificant you feel as a laborer, I want you to know that you and I serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
What an honor and what a privilege it is to serve him. And I don't care whether you believe your boss to be a very upright person, whether you believe that your company is the kind of place that you want to spend a lifetime. While you are there and while you are submitting, you are, I mean, while you are there and while you are serving in that position as an employee, you are to be serving as unto the Lord. And so am I. Well, we have the privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our employer. So every day you take off to work, you ought to say, well, Lord, I'll be at work soon. Let me know what you want me to do. And the some moment you walk in the door, somebody's going to tell you, and it's the Lord. That's what he's saying. See, we get the idea that we have a right because we are humans, because we are individuals, that we have a right to tell people no, and I don't want to. And that's just not, that's not me. And you know what? Find somebody else to do that. That job is below me. Whoever decided, I mean, who, who decides who we submit to, who we don't submit to, well, who's right, who's wrong? The Bible says that, that, that Jesus Christ is our employer. So basically what he's saying is then is that when that guy says or that gal says to me, this is what you're to do today, then I say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Because that's God speaking. You got to understand, see, he's still in charge. Oh, I know how it is, guys. You're saying, oh, not at my work. Well, let me ask you, fellas, when you say something to your wife, what is she supposed to do? Submit, right? Are you God? Well, no, but I am in the stead of God because I'm the authority. I am the head. Yes, exactly. So let's go ahead and strip your, employ- your employer from his authority then. Just, uh, you, oh, let, you, let your wife treat you, sir, the way you treat your employer. Hey, he's the one that's in charge of you. He's put in put an authority over you. You're to submit to him. I'm not talking about unethical. I'm not talking about something that's immoral. I'm talking about doing the job and doing it with the right spirit and attitude. Because you know what? It's as unto the Lord. It's funny. We're a two-way street with uh, kind of people. We want others to submit to us. We just don't want to have to submit to no one else. But I'm going to tell you, biblically and scripturally, your attitude towards your supervisor and the company you work for ought to be that, hey, it is the Lord Jesus Christ that is my employer. So you know what, boss? What you tell me to do, I'm going to do because it's as though Christ is speaking through you to me. That's the attitude. And that's how we ought to view it, biblically. Because as he says in verse 24 of Colossians 3, excuse me, verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I'm obeying, I'm obeying my boss but I'm really obeying you, Lord, with all my heart. Number two in that whole idea, this thought, again, what attitude should I have toward my supervisor and the company I work for? Well, respect the authority of their position. If you've got a supervisor, respect the authority of their position. We touched on it already. Turn, if you would, to Titus chapter 2, 9 and 10. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. It is amazing to me How pitiful of a testimony some believers have with their employers. Pitiful. I mean, it's sad. I mean, we're we're potentially the only light they're ever going to see. They may never crack a Bible. They may never go to church. They may not have a family member that knows the Lord, but we're there. But our testimony at the job job house or the the place of employment is so valuable, so important, and yet so many times we dismiss it. We just throw it off. We got to be careful. Listen, you need to respect the authority of their position. 
You say, well, I ought to be the boss. Well, talk to God about that. That's his business. He raises some, he lowers some. God could put you up there. God could raise you up somewhere, somehow. I'm amazed how many times we think we deserve something. I mean, I've been there before. I'm sure you have. I remember being in the army and thinking, these sergeants don't have a clue what's going on. If I was in charge, I guarantee it would be run a lot better than this. I remember thinking that. And then I would think for a while and I'd go, you know what, though? I'm not in charge and there's, I'm certainly glad I'm not right now. I don't have to make any major decisions. I don't have to be responsible for anybody. I just go eat my chow. I just go back to work. I just do my job. And you know what? That's the way I like it. And one day they came to me and said, hey, we want to promote you. And I said, that's all right. I'll just stay here. I'm comfortable here because I'm not planning on staying in the army the rest of my life anyway. So guess what? Don't worry about me. I'm good for the next year. Somebody says, really? Yeah, absolutely. Could I have done it? Without a doubt. I know I could have. Right now, I'd be the general of the army. (laughs) Maybe not. But nonetheless, the fact is is that probably each one of us, you have abilities, you have talents, you've been given some God-given talents. But sometimes it's just not that time for us. You know, just let God take care of business. But notice what he says in Titus 2, 9 and 10. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters. Wow. And to please them well in all things. Not answering again. Not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now I want you to notice, and I'm just going to skip to the end of that right now, uh, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. It's so funny, isn't it? There's so many doctrines in the Bible. And what we see there in that passage is simply this. That these doctrines and, and these doctrines uh, that, that, that are to be fulfilled and, and lived out in our lives, they, they, they cover us. You know, we put them on, so to speak. And boy, they dress us up. And if we will follow those doctrines and if we will put them on, in a sense, it is like it says here, if, if, if they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. If we'll do that then guess what? Not only will we comply with God's demands, but we will be a sweet-smelling savor to those that we're around, even in the workplace. According to this passage, though, as we move back into the first verses, verse 9, according to the passage, the Christian employee should be the most diligent, conscientious, and willing person on the payroll. That's what the Bible's teaching. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. I mean, that means that the Christian employee should be the most diligent, conscientious, and willing person on the payroll. I mean, the passage goes on to say, not answering again. But this one's a hard one to swallow sometimes. It means to speak against or contradict. It's saying that that we do not speak against or contradict that employer, that leader. The employee should not resist the will of their employer. Well, hey, I want you to I, I, I want you to uh, carry those six boxes of paper in, would you? Oh, come on! Can't you find somebody else? I've been working here longer than half these people. What's the Bible say you should have done? I don't want to say it the way I really want to say it. But you should have 
and went, okay. That's how it should have been at least. See, there should be no grumbling under the breath. There should be no attitudes reflected in our looks or gestures. I see those faces in the congregation sometimes. (laughs) You probably see them on my face up here sometimes too, probably. (laughs) The passage goes on to say not answering. But then it also says the believer basically should seek to please his or her employer well. I'm going to say this and... Uh, you know what, some of you guys, I don't know if you've got a problem with this or not, but I'm going to tell you what, I don't care if your boss is a man or woman, you need to listen to him. Well, I'm a man and she's, I don't care. You're in the workplace now. You're in Caesar's area. You start acting like the employee you ought to be. You take orders just like you ought to take orders. If a woman's in charge of you, then you sit there and you let her be in charge of you. That's, that's the way it works. Well, I ain't listening to her. She don't know what you. A man ought to be take, doing that job. Well, you're so you, you don't even know what you're talking about. That's not going to happen. So throw your testimony away over it. Be all big man on campus. Act like you're Mr. Tough Guy. But then watch all your coworkers go to hell. And then end up losing your job anyway. I'm just telling you. Listen. It's not your place to change the system in that sense. It's your job to obey God. You want to be in the center of God's will? Just be in the center. Obedience. That means obeying those that are put above you. And in this case, your, your employee, or employer, your boss, if you will. So you're to seek to please his, his, uh, his you know, your, uh, uh, employer, your employer very well. And though employers are just human, and they may make mistakes along the way, and some of you are saying they make a lot of them, the truth is is that you're to show all good fidelity, the Bible says. All good fidelity. The word fidelity is defined as faithfulness, careful and exact observance of duty, observance of duty, or performance of obligation. So what it's saying is the employee should be a picture of devotion to duty, even behind the employer's back. Boy, isn't that a good one? We go to lunch and what do we do? Man, you know what? You know what he told me to do today? You know what she said to me today? And we sit around talking to our buddies or we tell everybody, I just think that's stupid. I don't even know what they think they're doing. That, that, she's stupid. He's dumb. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you, that's not Biblical. You may feel good when you get doing that around your friends and they're all like, yeah, I know, you sure what you said to me. I, I get it, but let me tell you something. That's not how God intends us to act as believers. It's not how we're supposed to act. I'm not saying it's not tempting, and I'm not saying that you may not have good reason at times to think, wow, they are out there. But the truth is we still can't go around, as it says here, doing anything but, but showing all good fidelity, just being faithful, careful, and, and, ex, and, and exact observance of duty. See, the believer should be the most faithful and dependable of all workers employed. 
When, when your boss, if he's asked, hey, uh, uh, who, who's the best? She's asked, hey, who, who would you suggest I should? I mean, I want to know who I can trust the most with a, a, a real task at hand. They ought to be over to go, that one over there. And you know who it ought to be? The Christian. The Christian. It ought to be at least. Again, you may disagree with your boss. And if you are given liberty to make suggestions, by all means do so. But you know, sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, it's kind of like with our kids. I didn't always want suggestions when I told my kid to do something. And I didn't want to have to explain it every time. And you say, well, you're a mean parent, Mr. Meanie. No, I wasn't a mean parent. I want to teach my kid that the bottom line is in real life, sometimes you just got to do what you're told. And you know something? When it comes to our employ, employer, employee, employers, excuse me, we just got to do what we're told sometimes. You may not understand it. You may not agree with it. It may even seem like it's a stupid thing. Now, if you have the liberty to talk to your boss and say, hey, hey, boss, man, you know, we've been here 20 years together. And man, doesn't that sound a little funny to you? Yeah, it does sound funny to me. Well, is that, I mean, you still want me to do that? I mean, that's one thing. If you've got that liberty don't assume you have liberty, though. I know people who think they have liberty to do that all the time. And the boss is like, what? Would they just do it? I tell them. And they're like, well, you know, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I've been here as long as they have. I know that's not, that's not what gives you the right to do that. See, if you're not careful, what's happening is you, you, you are not, um, what's the Bible say here? Um, let's see here. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. You're not doing that. You're, you're answering again when you shouldn't be answering again. I'm just saying, I know this isn't what everybody likes to hear. But the Bible's still true. And listen, remember, there's more at stake here than whether you're happy at work. There's more at stake here than whether you get promoted at work. See, there are souls weighing in the balance. That's what God's trying to get us to understand. This is an eternal thing that we're dealing with today. It, the, the world deals with it in real time. It's right now. This is life. This is all there is today, now. We look at it and go, this isn't all there is. This is smoke and mirrors, man. Eternity's what it's all about. And so we got to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to get caught up in the now so much and, and feeling like we're being taken advantage of so much and we're not being treated with the respect we deserve, and they should talk to me a little differently. I could tell they had an attitude when they said that I should go out and do that. Maybe they did or didn't have an attitude. I don't know, but I guarantee you this. You throwing a little tantrum is not going to help anybody get to heaven. It's only going to hurt your testimony and ultimately create some conflict probably that is ultimately going to hurt the cause of Christ. I want you to think with me, if you would please, of Joseph. For a minute. We go back in the Old Testament to Joseph. I believe Joseph is a tremendous example of this truth. I mean, he was a model employee, wasn't he? First of all, he was sold into slavery. He wasn't even an employer, employee. He didn't just have an employer. He had a master. I mean, he was a slave. And yet Joseph showed the kind of spirit and attitude that we ought to, and he didn't even have it as good as we do. And he was the model employee. He never stole from the company. He never slept on the job. He never spoke ill of the boss. Even when given an opportunity to really stick it to the boss, he wouldn't do it for nothing. Because he had enough character to realize there's something more at stake here than just me, mine, and now. 
He was faithful, consistent, devoted, and trustworthy. He's our example. That's a good example of how we ought to be at work. That's totally different, preacher. Okay, moving on. Third one. Respect your company's property. It does not belong to you. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Go ahead and turn there, would you please? And we're going to focus just on one little area a little more than others, but respect your company's property. It does not belong to you. Again, we're talking about our attitude. What, what, what should our attitude be uh, toward our supervisors and the company we work for? And we're talking about a Christian's attitude now. We're not talking about everybody's. I'm not talking about your neighbor's. I'm not even talking about your, your mom or dad necessarily or your, your, your wife or husband or, or your, your uh, extended family or your neighbors because they may or may not be Christians. I don't know. This applies to believers. Now, it'd be good for all people to act this way, but the truth is that they're not required the way we are as believers. They've not been bought with a price. We have. They don't realize that there's a future at stake. An eternity that awaits. We do. Notice, respect your company's property. It does not belong to you. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Ye shall not... What? Ye shall not what? Steal. Neither deal falsely. Neither lie one to another. Now that's a pretty good, pretty good statement. We, we all know that. And we, if I said, how many of you have never heard that you shouldn't lie? Not one of you would raise your hand. Everybody go, I know I shouldn't lie. I know, but let me tell you this. I want you to realize that companies lose $50 billion a year by their employees. In an article entitled, Workplace Stealing May Seem Small, But It Can Cost a Lot, Arthur Kelly O'Brien writes, Theft is common and can cost employers a lot of money. Tens of billions of dollars by most estimates. I looked that estimate up. It's 50 billion. The interesting thing, she goes on to say, is that many people contribute to the problem without really thinking they're doing anything wrong. Of the people who responded to a 2011 AOL job survey, 43% admitted to taking low-cost office supplies like pens and envelopes for personal use. We did a little anonymous polling around the boston.com office and found most people don't think swiping office supplies makes them a thief. Quote, one person said, I'd continue pilfering paper clips and legal pads for personal use. I don't feel bad about it. But if I got caught, I would be embarrassed, said another. If you take a few paper clips, eh. If you take a whole box, eh, that's not right. Obviously, the more costly the item, the worse it is, unquote. Now, these are just getting some quotes from people in the business, you know, in the the company. Nobody admitted to stealing anything more valuable than a couple of K-cups from a Keurig coffee machine. And everybody said stealing something like a laptop was unthinkable. Jennifer Bank, an associate professor of psychology at Westchester University of Pennsylvania offers a few suggestions as to why folks justify this behavior. She suggests suggests that employees who feel they've been treated unfairly by their organizations can commit a small version of, quote, workplace sabotage, unquote, when they steal. 
I think stress can be a factor there too, she said. Another article that I read suggested a couple of things as well. Number one, kind of going along the same lines, it says opportunity. Opportunity is one reason. The employee has access to enough merchandise to feel that they can successfully commit fraud and also conceal it. There's so much around them that nobody's going to miss it. And then also there's rationalization, which I just did just a moment ago for you. Jump the gun. The employee is able to justify the fraud based on performance. You know, I, I really work hard around here. I put in a lot of extra hours. Or how they are treated at work. They don't treat me like they ought to. Always taking advantage of me. I'll show them. If I need something, I'll take it. It's no big deal. They got plenty of money. So respect your company's property. It does not belong to you. The believer should have no part in stealing or damaging company property. That's a principle that we ought to gravitate to and that we need to understand. So, I don't know. I mean, what's stealing anyway? Let's define stealing. I mean, when you think about it, what, what is stealing? Because many of those folks that were, were, were ultimately interviewed uh, gave quotes. They didn't think they were stealing. They didn't believe that. And maybe they weren't. It depends, I guess, how you define stealing. See, that's the problem in our generation today. That's the problem in our culture. I mean, what is truth? What is right? What is wrong? What is just? I mean, those are all defi- words that need defined, if we, and, and we have to all agree on them or they have no power whatsoever. They mean nothing if we don't all agree. If every one of us can have our own definition of what stealing is, then obviously we can't control any real behavior because everybody's right, nobody's wrong, and I can't tell you you're wrong, you can't tell me I'm wrong. And boy, that's where we're at in our world today, by the way. I mean, what is immorality what is, what is perversion? What is, I mean, you think about all the words and you think about what, what is, what is uh, I, I don't even want to get into all of them, but I mean, think about all the words that are thrown around in our culture and how they are defined differently by either different political groups or defined differently by different age groups or different uh, socioeconomic groups. Think about how every term is so different. It's the same term, different definition. Hey, you want to know something? You know why the problem at workplaces and why this stuff goes on? Because people define stealing differently. How do you define it? Do you know the only real source of, of truth is the Word of God? The only real way we know what stealing is is by understanding what the Bible says about it. And you know what the Bible says about it? We saw it over there in that particular passage we just read a moment ago over in Luke 19, 11. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. You start to take that word, you break it down. What you find is that you don't take what doesn't belong to you. If it is not yours, it is not yours. It's simple. I know, but... But I live in the same house. If it is not yours, you don't take. Now, by the way, let me, let me clarify that for a minute. I just want you to know, I'm going to say this real quick, and I just want all the young people to get this real fast. But can I tell you something, sir, that that suit jacket is not yours? Your parents bought it. And if you say, no, they didn't, whatever, you wouldn't be alive today without them. You got something, that's my room. Nobody has a right to go in my room. It ain't your room if you ain't paying for it. I'm sorry, but I have a real problem today in the culture we live in that there's got all this privacy because it's all mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. 
I, 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 those are my clothes, and that, that's my, my, my book, and that's my this, and that's my that. Hey, you know what? You have no right getting in my drawer and digging through my clothes and finding my, my secret journal that says that I was doing the wrong thing on the wrong day at the wrong time with the wrong person. How dare you, mother? How dare you, father, get in my stuff? Too bad. Too bad it's not yours. One day it will be. When you become a real man, start providing for yourself and meeting your own needs. When mommy and daddy aren't paying all the bills. I'm sorry, but I, I, again, I'm sorry about how the world's defining things. It's bothering the life out of me these days. It's coming off an election. It's got me really upset. But I'm just going to tell you something. There's, there's real issues. And in the church, it's no different today. We are buying into the world's philosophy that everybody has a right to define things as they so see fit. That is untrue. That is a lie. What's a lie? It's not a lie as long as you, you know, you're just not trying to hurt someone, right? How do you define it? Because that's, I know people that define that that way. Well, I was trying not to hurt someone, so I said a lie because I didn't want to hurt them. So it's not really a lie because I had their best interest at heart. Well, is it a lie or isn't it? Well, we call them white lies, preacher. Well, there's a difference between white and what? Come on. I'm just saying, the Bible defines these things for us. Young people, adults alike, we better get to the point where we start defining things properly. And you know what? In the workplace... We better realize there are some things that don't belong to us. We do not have a right. Don't have a right to just walk out with them. You better ask. You better get approval. You, whatever you got to do. Make sure that it's not secret because somebody finds out you're doing that stuff and you're supposed to be the Christian at the workplace and if they find out you've been taking some things, I don't care how little it is, how insignificant it may seem, I guarantee you the world's going to blow it out of proportion just because you're a Christian. Because they want a reason not to follow your God or believe that there is even a God because they don't want to have to follow anyone and do things their way. Well, this has been a fun evening, hasn't it? It's been such a good time. What a blessing. Thank you, preacher. You're just, you know, just so passionate about things. We love that about you. It's so wonderful. Way to go, preacher. Way to go. Yeah, I know. Well, let me tell you something. Even I have to think about that. Listen, I, I work in an office environment all the time. But I'll tell you what, you know, I love paper clips. I like the big ones. The big paper clips, not those little ones. I can't stand little paper clips. I made them buy me big paper clips, the big, you know, because I like big ones. Because my, my fingers are getting too thick and too, you know, they don't move good like they used to. Plus, those big ones hold papers together better. I'm, I'm funny about paper clips. I don't complain about it, but I have finally made up my mind to order them. And so I've got them now. I, I keep them around. But, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to walk out with a few paper clips here and there, and a few more 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 here and there. Well, I guess it is, as long as I don't take a whole box, right? Isn't that what the one guy said? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go dismiss, but. I want you to think about that. There's another few that I'm going to talk about. I've got, I've got probably three, three or four more. They're really good, though. <laughs> they are. They're really good. 
They're really good. They're actually even fun, you know, because there's a couple fun stuff in them. I tried to find some jokes and illustrations and stuff, make this a little funner. More fun. Excuse me. That wasn't very good English, was it? A little funner. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, you define that one for me, would you? Funner. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the